0: You're listening to Marcus Sahaba Online Radio Podcast.
1: As-Sadiqah. Truthful news. And Alhamdulillah, this evening on Truthful News, I'm excited, people. I'm so excited because uh, this has to be, you know, a moment for me being once again with my broadcasting buddy and that's someone that was very close, uh, and he's still close to Mufti, a.k.a. And I believe they're in the same class, same school, and so forth. So it's uh, people... When you hear the voice, you know he's a legend in the world of broadcasting, and you know maybe, inshallah, hope and pray that will come on more often on Wasail Al Sadiqa, Truthful News. The Inayid Wadi Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi And tell me, how are you doing this fine, beautiful evening?
0: to wa barakatuh And assalamualaikum to all your listeners. And uh, Alhamdulillah, doing well. In fact, it's a beautiful evening. Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has been kind to us. And uh, I must say, it's been a very, very long time since you and I connected on the airwaves. So an absolute pleasure uh, being with you, Shafat, once again uh, this
1: evening. You know, I tell you many, many moons uh, that uh, since we spoke to each other and uh, we shared so many uh, platforms, especially when it came to politics and uh, both you and I, you know, hosted the Sabal Khair and, you know, your global dynamics and so forth. And I know we've covered a long way, long way. But uh, talking about broadcasting, you know, we remember in our previous uh, uh, platform and we're together, that is a CI radio where we saw i to i it was a mufti, who Hussein, that was our resident uh, Alim there, and he was our residential mufti, uh, you know, keeping us on the straight and narrow. But, you know, it was a, a platform where we were thrown into the deep end because we were on a platform that was world space, and uh, virtually the entire world uh, could uh, listen to us, and it was the first Islamic global broadcaster. And here we were, you know, thrown into that uh, deep end uh, in Ida, but we swam through... And look at us now. I mean, we passed in, we, in our, you know, we, in Maghrib, we passed our Maghribi more in our Tajud, But Allah has given us the opportunity to still be relevant in Aithu. What goes through your mind? Well, Shifat,
0: you know, uh, you speak of Mufti AK. Obviously, Mufti AK and I go a long way before uh, we even started at uh, CII. In fact, uh, Mufti AK and I were in the same school together. We were in the same class. So uh, that is how long this relationship goes, as far as the honourable Mr. Sub goes. So, Alhamdulillah, you know, we've had a good relationship uh, over the years. But uh, you know, coming back to broadcasting and uh, you know, memories actually by and uh, it's been such a long time, and I can't believe it. It's close on to twenty years, or even over twenty years, uh, just after nine eleven had taken place, or oh, it was around that time when I recall uh, I made my entrance in the uh, broadcasting and the media space. And uh, you speak about, you know, uh, the deep end. And uh, it was either sink or swim. And that is what it was. Because at that point in time, uh, global Muslim media was a new phenomenon in South Africa. And we had to actually create that space in the media, but uh, not only creating the space, it was not only about filling the airwaves uh, or with airtime, that uh, it needed quality airtime, number one. And also we needed to identify what would appeal to the Muslim ummah. And uh, it is at that point in time that I had identified that there was this huge need, there was this massive need for alternative media. And uh, we had the mainstream narrative, which was on all the time. And as I mentioned to you, it happened around the nine uh, eleven. And uh, we know what the mainstream media was pushing, the agenda that was going through. And uh, I looked very, very deeply into uh, that uh, particular incident of 9-11. And I said, you know, there has got to be another story. There has got to be something else behind this. And that is the reason why uh, I started thinking very, very differently, in providing uh, content and information from an alternative viewpoint. And uh, alhamdulillah, over the years, uh, through uh, networks uh, that we had right across the entire world, we were able to achieve, and this is the reason why at that point in time, I even uh, 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 called my show the alternative voice, you know, and uh, is exactly what it was. It was providing an alternative to the mainstream media, and uh, as uh, the show had pressed, uh, as, as it had gained ga- ground, uh, I started calling it Global Dynamics, because this is exactly what it was all about. And uh, we are talking about crisis in the Muslim world. And there have been so many crises over a period where this alternative viewpoint was absolutely necessary. 9-11 was just one example. And then the London bomb taken place. Then we had the Mumbai attacks that had taken place, the Paris attacks, the Charlie Hebdo. And this is what had taken place in the Muslim world, the Arab Spring. You know, just so much that had taken place since then. So all of this actually put together, uh, you know, gave me the opportunity. Alhamdulillah, with the blessings and the mercy of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, to be able to reach out, uh, providing that alternative to our listeners uh, throughout the year, all of the last twenty-two years so you
1: Now, I was quite fortunate. Uh, besides the subbing for you and for Ibrahim Ganga uh, also, you know, Umar Farukh Hussein uh, identified something. I don't know what he identified in me. He gave me the doctor's show. He gave me the comparative religion. Then he gave me the uh, uh, East Coast pressure. I mean, that. Uh, I mean, up to today, some of uh, young uh, broadcasters that are working at uh, different media. say, hey, I still listen to you. And that rarely makes me feel like, hey, forever young, uh, united. But uh, moving on to the crisis thing. I mean, you, you talk about nine eleven. It's still very relevant because it was 9-11 that ushered in uh, this, uh, you know, war on terror, you know, uh, how they uh, worded it. And uh, they they uh, uh, had an open license uh, to get into Iraq, and they went into Afghanistan and so forth. And, you know, the reality of the situation was there was not one Afghani that flew that uh, so-called planes into the Twin Towers. We know all that was orchestrated. There was, I mean, there were the Egyptians. And there they went for the... Uh, Uh, And they bombed uh, uh, Afghanistan literally into into a stone age. And then then they went into Iraq uh, looking for weapons of mass destruction. I mean, um, Saddam Hussein had nothing to do with 9-11. So 9-11, you know, we all knew it is an inside job and that happened. A a good way of starting off and looking at, you know, this crisis we talk in Muslim world was deliberately planned, maybe years in advance, so they could usher in a new world. I call it disorder, Inaid. How you respond?
0: Well, uh, Shafat, uh, it uh, goes actually even before 9-11. And uh, you will recall uh, at the height of communism, uh, the West had basically termed it the Red peril. So that is how they perceived uh, uh, the, 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 uh, the communism and the Soviet Union and all the other countries had lined to Russia at this point in time. And that includes China as well. So the red peril was a major stumbling block. It was a major danger to uh, the West. And uh, since the fall of the Soviet Union and uh, since the fall of communism right across the entire world, uh, what the West needed was a new enemy. And this new enemy they called the green peril. And the green peril, uh, specifically uh, relates to uh, Islam. And uh, the reason why I am saying this is when one looks at the West and one looks at the Western ideology, the Western ideology is uh, both around secularism, it's both around democracy or so-called democracy, it's both around capitalism. And uh, Islam stands for everything that the capitalist ideology uh, 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 goes against. And this is the reason why Islam was seen as uh, a threat to uh, this capitalist ideology or the spread of this capitalist ideology. And it also goes back before that, uh, when one looks at the fall of the Khilafah. And since the fall of the Khilafah, uh, we know what the British has done, the Balfour Declaration, we know how the entire world was actually broken up into nation states. So nationalism became the order of the day. We know what had happened with Palestine because uh, that was one of the main goals after the fall of the Khilafah because during the Khilafah, they had tried their utmost best to get a foothold. Or the Zionists and the Jewish uh, lobby had tried their utmost to into Palestine But uh, while the Khilafah was there, they they couldn't get uh, even an inch of the land. In fact, Sultan Abdul Hamid had actually made mention when uh, Jewish bankers had approached about Palestine. And at that point in time, the Khilafah was in financial difficulty and they were prepared to bail out the Khilafah. uh, uh, and, and, And Sultan Abdul Hamid made a very, very profound, he made a powerful statement where he says, I will not even part with an inch of land. Uh, that uh, Umar bin Khattab radiAllahu anhu had uh, liberated. So this has been a long coming. Okay, nine eleven was another excuse. It was an excuse to further this agenda to look at the Muslim world uh, to 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 get a foothold into Afghanistan, to get a foothold into Iraq, uh, to 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 uh, get Muslim nations. Uh, as part of the coalition uh, against uh, uh, fellow Muslim countries, we've seen what had happened in Libya, the destruction of Libya, a country that was once very, very prosperous. And today, when one looks at the situation in Libya, a country that is broken to bits. When one looks at Iraq, Iraq uh, under Saddam Hussein, uh, despite him being uh, ruthless as a leader, but what we had seen is uh, Iraq had the highest educational standards in the Middle East at that point in time. So all of this put together was seen as a threat to capitalism, to their ideology, and also to the global hegemony of the the likes of the Western nations. So when we uh, take a look and we go back, we see that there have been many leading factors that have actually contributed to where we are at this point in time. And this is the reason why we are looking at the crisis in the Muslim world, but, Having said that, Shafat, it is meaningless to only blame the West or the international system for the ill fortune of the Muslim world without first looking within ourselves, introspection, looking at the internal bleeding that uh, has cracked into Muslim uh, countries, into Muslim societies. And this is also another reason why this Muslim world is in a state of crisis.
1: Yes, you know, know, very well said there. And if you look at the crisis, as you said, you know, we do need to do a lot of introspection because we do have a lot of wealth and we have, you know, very affluent Muslim countries. And you can see in certain instances, the money has been just wasted. Wasted, you know, on uh, sports stars and this, and uh, getting into an entertainment and so forth. And then, you look at an individual like uh, Muammar Gaddafi. Many called him the benevolent dictator. There, he had his infrastructure; the country was running well, and you know, free education. Uh, all the, I you mean, know, uh, when when there was an oil deal done, a percentage went to into the accounts of uh, his citizens and so forth. But uh, here, they took him out of the equation. Because he challenged the status quo of the West, and he said, "Okay, no more in dollars. I may go into euro." The same with Saddam Hussein; he wanted to change the currency. And now you're looking around, you 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 see that there is the crisis of the BRICS versus, you know, the Western countries, the U.S. You look at the Britishers, and you know all the other countries that are there. But many will say, even Putin himself made a very bold statement. He says, you know, we have to look into the Islamic banking system. And but many may argue, even you know, your banking system is still connected to the main system of uh, you know taking usury or uh, you know uh, indulging in interest. And you know, Allah says he he uh, he purpose, or the war he declares war on those that deal in interest. So you know, as you say. We have uh, this green pal- uh, parallel, and you talk about capitalism, and capitalism is is a, is a rebar system, you know, where the rich gets richer, the bankers control everything, and whereas in Islam, you know, it gives you the equality of everything, and there's a way of running uh, the system, and it all comes uh, from uh, the, you know, Athiullah or Asiyah Rasul, or being Allah and his messenger. So, and you, as you said, the fall of the caliphate, they needed to do that, there was this one, Winston Churchill, they said he was drunk and he was drawing different maps and different nation states and he, you know, really enjoyed doing that. And the Balfour de- 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 Declaration came into place. And all this has contributed uh, to a world that is virtually captured by these uh, one percenters, uh, in Perhaps your comments. Yes, Shafat, uh, you
0: know, I think uh, the other important uh, uh, point that one needs to consider is uh, we've got a Muslim world that is in a state of paralysis. And uh, when one looks at this crisis, I know you've spoken about Saddam Hussein, you speak about Muammar Gaddafi. Yes, uh, they wanted to challenge the almighty dollar. We see what is happening with uh, BRICS and the extension of BRICS. Uh, where uh, there uh, the is talk of actually coming up with a BRICS currency, that, again, is going to be seen as a challenge to the almighty dollar. But having said that, when one lives at the Muslim world, and we are sitting with a dilemma, we're sitting with a problem where we don't know who our friends are. We don't know who to associate with. Whether it is... Uh, the Western nations and the European nations, or even when one looks at the BRICS countries. Now, each of these BRICS countries are guilty in their own right. Whether you're looking at Russia, you're looking at India, you're looking at China. We've seen persecution of Muslims in those countries. And when this BRICS summit had taken place, a lot of focus was on Vladimir Putin and uh, the war in Ukraine, uh, war against humanity. He needed to be charged for war crimes. But what about Narendra Modi? What is Narendra Modi doing in Fishing? What is Narendra Modi doing in India? What is China doing to the Uighur Muslims? They are actually wiping out their identity. So all of these nations are guilty in some way or the other. And as a Muslim world, having all the resources in the world, having all the wealth in the world to be able to associate with these countries, now why? Why are we so desperate? friendship with these countries now there are a number of reasons one obviously is intellectual one of the biggest problems in the muslim world is we cannot manage to be on our own we know islam had a glory islam had a brilliant path we looked at islam and its contribution in more ways than one when europe was in darkness islam had shown europe the light but all of that has actually been reversed at this point in time And uh, we had this brilliant past, but now we have this apathy. We have this misery of the present that is taking place. Because many Muslim countries suffer from a political crisis. They suffer from economic backwardness. They suffer from weak infrastructure, from bad education, lack of competitiveness when it comes to science, technology. And uh, all of this has put the Muslim world in the state of paralysis. And this paralysis has now extended to things like social inequality. We've seen injustices towards women as well. We see sectarian conflict amongst the Muslim world. We see extremism as well. And as a result, we see Muslims being labeled uh, as violent, as terrorists. And yet, when one looks at the pure and pristine teaching of Islam, the core teaching of Islam is about peace. It is about justice. It is about compassion. Now, all of this has been lost because of the lust for power. And this is the reason why we see many political leaders across the world, and sadly, even some religious scholars, intellectuals, have actually failed to stop this internal bleeding in the Muslim world. Uh, They have either succumbed to the temptations of power or they have become irrelevant. And uh, we know that while the world powers, the current international system, the capitalist system we're speaking about, the secularist ideology, all of this needs to take the blame. But Muslims, the bottom line Shafat in a nutshell, Muslims have failed to take care of our own.
1: Well, you know, maybe I can add on a, a few things uh, that you have said there. You spoke about, uh, look at uh, Spain, you know, when we rule Spain, uh, Cordova, when uh, the uh, streets in uh, in in, in, uh, in the West were in darkness, there, there were street lights in Cordova. When uh, there were people couldn't even, the Pope, or I mean, not the Pope, uh, this, uh, uh the, the the priest, they couldn't even sign or uh, write their names. There we had, uh, you know, in Cordova, mammoth, large libraries. And, you know, all the uh, scholars around the world, they went to Cordova, they went to Spain to do the uh, research, to do the learning. And uh, this is how, you know, in opulence and all that, the Muslim world was at its peak at that time. But even when, you know, you talk about the Khalifa, why were they so powerful? They were powerful because they had the biggest and the largest cannon on earth. I mean, no one could touch them because the military might was right. They were, you know, right to the teeth. They were well armed. But suddenly, as you said, in opulence and then that apathy uh, came in and they lost their leadership uh, position where we will we supposed to be leaders but then we went into this you say it so beautifully paralysis mode and when we went into the paralysis mode you can see what they are doing with us they are virtually running a mock with the muslim world they but as in says we need to do introspection we need to come you know back get back the uh, the mental hood of being allah's finest creation on earth the vice-gerent of uh, you know, Allah's creation. And as Muslims, we have the Quran, something is not right, something needs to be done, but it needs to be done as quick as possible. Really appreciate what you have brought in the night. Very quickly, I just want to run into, you know, he's talking about the paralysis. Here we were given, for Pakistan was given Imran Khan, and, you know, as he came through, he was coming to the fore, and suddenly um, the carpet was uh, pulled from under his feet by a government, you know, Abu Abu Bakr see that, calls it the Chor government. What's your thoughts on Imran Khan and uh, the dilemma or the debacle that's taking place in Pakistan now, uh, Inayat?
0: Imran Khan, Shafat, is just one example. We know of the other example of uh, Sheikh Mohammed Murti uh, in Egypt and what had happened to him as well. uh, This is uh, clear that... The leadership in the Muslim world and uh, by the removal of uh, someone like Imran, despite his popularity, right across Pakistan, and even election was held today, obviously Imran Khan would, hands down. But what has happened is uh, the temptations of power has become so great in the Muslim world, and particularly the leaders. And this is exactly what we are seeing When one looks at Pakistan, Pakistan has been ruled for a long, long time by certain families, the Nalif family, the Bhutto family. These are the families that have actually dominated Pakistan in terms of uh, ruling the country and uh, in terms of lead. And uh, Imran Khan was seen as a threat to challenge this hegemony that they've had. And this is the reason why uh, they had taken him out. But again, it brings us to this uh, lust for power that they have. They are so tempted to stay in power at whatever cost. And this is exactly what they've learned. This is a legacy that they've learned from the imperialist, uh, you know, intervention over the years. And this is the reason why countries like Pakistan will continue to, 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 to head into becoming failed states uh, where we see uh, still poverty. We see illiteracy. We see the sense of dispossession. We see alienation of the masses, and all of this run very, very deep. In fact, it's like a cancer. It's a deep wound that runs into the social and political landscape of Pakistan. The Middle East is no different. So all of this, at the end of the day, is as a result of nationalism. It is about the lust for power. It is also, at the same time, uh, all of it is wrongly used in the name of religion. And these are political opportunists And uh, they have used even ordinary people to advance their political goals. Now, when one looks at the West, uh, and, 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 and the West is exactly the same, we see Western democracies over and over again, time and again. They've actually betrayed their own values and principles. And sadly, Shabbat, Muslims have done exactly the same. When one looks at what is taking place right across the entire world, like the West, the Muslim world have watched the occupation of Palestine and its expansion for well over 75 years. And they could do absolutely nothing, and they are doing absolutely nothing. When we look at uh, the, the coup that was supported in Europe, the Muslim countries just by and did absolutely nothing. We've seen what has happened, the disastrous conditions in Iraq. We've seen the failure to support the people of Syria, We've seen them turn a blind eye to the suffering of millions of people in Myanmar, in Somalia, what is playing in Kashmir and in India at this point in time. And it is very, very clear that this Hindutva ideology, which mirrors whatever the Zionist ideology is doing, whatever Israel is doing to the Palestinian people is exactly what India is to the people in Kashmir and Muslims. Yet, yet we find the G20 summit that had taken place in the last few days, who were there, who were present, who was applauding Narendra Modi? It was none other than Muslim countries, our very own Arab countries that were there as part of the G20 summit. And this is where the biggest problem comes in because they have all been taken in by an economic system, economic interest, and all of that has been used to justify their relationship with these brutal murderers, these genocidal murderers, these that have oppressed Muslims to, an, to, to, uh, to no ends. Just today, Shafat, I heard about uh, China and the Xinjiang region, East Turkestan. 16,000 massages have been destroyed over a period of time. Muslims have been forced to not uh, to eat even pork, to, to, to eat during the month of Ramadan. We've seen uh, children being separated from their families, put into orphanages, while parents are, are languishing in concentration camps. So everything that Islam stands for, every identity that Islam stands for is being eradicated in a country like China. Yet we see all these countries go in because China is an economic power, because India is an emerging economic power. All of that at the end of the day, they have just turned a blind eye, they've allowed this injustice, they've allowed this inequality, uh, they've allowed poverty, and they've allowed all of this to actually fester into their mind. And uh, together with that, we see the intolerance on the part of the Muslim world and also towards uh, 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 the, the oppression is taking place uh, completely, Shafat. In fact, uh, you know, this has uh, got to a stage where the Muslim lands are using their resources for the wrong reasons. There are people, uh, those that are benefiting from the resources of the Muslim world are the wrong people. Yet, this is, uh, uh, it has the potential of assisting Muslims right across the entire world. They themselves can become regions of peace. They can become regions of justice, faith. All of that, at the end of the day, and this, uh, at the end of the day, looking at the mind and the crisis in the Muslim mind, what it requires is a revolution of the Muslim mind, where where we can define or redefine our relationship with the world, and at the same time to make sure that uh, at the end of the day we are an Ummah. We are. We need to take care of Allah's wa Taala's creation with intelligence, with compassion, and uh, this needs to bring out the humanity in all of us Shafar and uh, the Muslim world in particular.
1: well said the United. and you know whilst you're talking, uh, uh, many thoughts came through, and you know the very fact that still the Guantanamo Bay is still existing today, the very fact that Afia Siddiqui is still in jail, it's an indictment on whom? on the Muslim world, because it shows I mean the, these Americans are telling you, what can you do? Come and get us. you can't do anything we got these people, we still have them incarcerated, and uh, then uh, you know, the the unholy alliance uh, between uh, Israel and India, working very close together hand in hand as you bring about the Kashmiri issue, and then the Palestinian issue, and these are the two foes that are, you know, uh, against the House of Islam that are working hand in hand, and uh, perpetrating genocide uh, amongst our innocent brothers and sisters, and uh, then, uh, you know, very conveniently, no one talks about uh, Jamal Khashoggi's, you know, murder, brutal murder. And there the murderer himself comes and gets you know, embraced and celebrated by whom. Inayat, you know what, you and I can go on talking for hours and hours. You're really brilliant with us uh, so, uh, on you know, Al Alam, Sadiqah. I really look forward to having you more often. Perhaps your parting words before I let you go, Inayat.
0: Well, about uh, you know, in just in parting words, uh, you know, we we need to uh, differentiate, or we need to isolate Muslim leadership from Muslims right across the entire world, and for Muslims right across the world, uh, Islam is still central to our life, to a Muslim life, and we know it that uh, Islam had actually shaped Muslims into a successful global community, an ummah of purpose, and uh, despite the many pitfalls, Muslims uh, at the end of the day uh, may be unhappy with what is taking place right around the entire world but there is also this resurgence, there is still this renaissance and uh, we still see, uh, despite what is taking place, Islam is still the fastest growing religion in the entire world and that alone should give us hope because we know that the, this is the deen of Allah, Allah, Allah the haters can do whatever they want to, those that want to assassinate the noble character of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, uh, they can do what they want to, but at the end of the day, not a single iota of respect will be lost for Nabi sallallahu wa They can burn as many Qur'ans as they want to, yet the Qur'an is the fastest selling book right across the entire world. They can take away the hijab from the women of France, yet when one looks at the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the amount of reversions to Islam, the largest number of reversions to Islam is coming from women. So, all of that, they have a plan, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the best of plan, insha'Allah. And I'm going to leave you with that.
1: Beautiful uh, Inayat, uh, broadcaster, producer, and talk show host. Inayat Wadi, Allah keep you, Allah bless you, and Jazakallah Khair for being with us. And uh, hopefully, we'll talk soon. Asalaamu Alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.
0: Thank you so much for having me as well and to you as well. Wa Salaam, salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.
1: Time for us to go for a break and inshallah we will continue after that.